0: Hey, mama, are you struggling to find time for everything that matters to you? Maybe you're working or running a business or volunteering or trying to follow another passion while still loving your family and you're struggling with it or you're not going after something that you really want for yourself because you don't think you have time. I get it. I was there and I found a path out that I've shared with clients over the years. So I've created a free video for you to watch to give you that first step to kickstart you into finding time for what matters most to you and to be able to do it without the guilt and the stress. So just pop on over to sandyfowler.com backslash find-time and you can grab that free video and that will get you moving in the direction that you want to go.
1: Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome
0: to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, reminding you to go to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. So, parents, one of the greatest frustrations for us is when we have unmotivated teens. Watching our kids not do things, let deadlines slip by, or just seeing them be lethargic during class or homework time is really frustrating. And I think it's largely just because we don't know what to do about it. And obviously whatever we've tried to do isn't working or we wouldn't still be seeing that happening. Well, Leslie Josel knows exactly what to do about it. Leslie is the founder of Order Out of Chaos, and her company is on a mission to help parents guide their student to success in learning and in life. And Leslie shares her wisdom through her student planner and her three books, including her latest book, How to Do It Now Because It's Not Going Away, an expert guide to getting stuff done. And she's joining us today to give us guidance on helping our teens. So Leslie, welcome back to Mighty Parenting.
1: Oh, I am so excited to be here. I remember when I came on the first time and I was like, that was like the best. It was just fantastic. So um, I am always honored and humbled when you say, sure, Leslie, come back.
0: Well, I love what you do. You know, like you said, Come you've on. been actually twice, but it was back yeah. on episodes 21 and fifty. Oh, and now God. we're in what? Like around 160, yes. which is mind boggling. Mind boggling. Yes. Yes. And, but, it, yeah. and I think back and I remember the thing that really pops out first when I think back is when you went, Hey, one of the essential tools for eliminating procrastination in your kids is having old-fashioned clocks with hands and i'm like who knew that something I did. so simple made a big difference you did well that's why i love having you here because you know all oh these my things. god
1: that is hysterical and you know what this thing is i am still still like you would think i have stock in any kind of company that makes an analog and i absolutely don't but i um literally, I'm still pitching the analog clock because it is sometimes, as you just said it, the simplest um, tool is by far the most effective, particularly for the kids that we work with, meaning kids that have, you know, either attention deficits or learning disabilities and things like that. Anything way too complicated for them is not going to work. So, something as visible and visual as an analog actually really hits home. So, I am so happy you've you remembered that. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I remember it. And I I didn't necessarily have issues with the situation, like personally, but Uh I noticed even for myself that looking at an analog clock, my brain processes things differently than when I look at a digital clock. I didn't until you mentioned it. And then all of a sudden I had this awareness like, Wow, yeah, Wow. It actually functions differently
1: when it looks at that clock. So I'm going to just give you, if it's okay, I'm gonna give a little context um, yes. because actually we do, and it's funny, we do talk about time in the book. and I love love, love, love talking about time because first of all, it's the one thing I feel we all have the same amount of, and yet what we do with it is all very different. but here's here's what I want to say about what you just said about when I look at it, It changes everything. So I'm pretty time managed. I mean, I'm a time management expert. So I am pretty on top of my time. But if I was to look around, even just my home office, let's say, I have five things in my office that do what I call externalized time. So I have an analog clock. And if we were, you you can't see it, but I have an analog clock hanging because I practice what I preach. I have a timer. That you know, ticks down so I can see time like that move. I have my phone, which does help me if I set an alarm. So it's holding what I call future time for me. I have a paper planner and I have a wall calendar. So that's five different things that I have that externalize time. And what I tell everyone who wants to listen to me, everybody is the more you externalize time for yourself, whether you're an adult or, or a child the more you will internalize it. And that's exactly what you just said. And so I didn't set you up, I didn't make you say it, but it's exactly that. Anytime you can make it external, anytime you can make it visible and visual for yourself or your student, what happens is you can tether yourself to time. I always say if you are time blind, you are unmoored. It's the equivalent to being in a ship in the water and you cannot see land around you. And what an analog does, and I know you don't want to spend the whole time talking about this, but what an analog allows you to do is see time move. You can see five minutes till 10 minutes ago. So it allows you to kind of picture yourself in time. It allows you to tether yourself to time. It allows you to see basically a horizon. So that's my, you know, and then to, to your point, you're like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And every time I talk about it, and I say to people, okay, what was the number one thing I said that really lit your brain up? Analogs, analogs, analogs. I'm <laughs> oh like, I need to buy stock. I really do. But it's it's really powerful. And it doesn't matter if your kid is 8 or 18. Um, it has the same purpose. I'm a little more sophisticated for an older student. But if you have a younger student at home, it's a great way to start the time conversation
0: and i know we're really skimming over it i'll have yes. links to both episodes 21 and 51 in the show notes so anyone can go and click through and get more detail about time management and procrastination cuz i don't want to spend our time repeating that when we have the opportunity to pick your brain on new things but the other thing that was interesting there is you listed off all these external things and i use well i use all of them in different capacities but on a regular basis, I use an analog, I have an analog clock. They're just that's what we have in our house because that's what we liked.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then I use timers and alarms. Mm-hmm. Not so much the paper planner. but okay. I do paper plan certain things, right? What was what, what caught my attention about it is prior to you saying that, I felt like Sandy, figure it out, make up your mind, figure out what actually works for you. And when you said that, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm actually being smart and using these different things. And it, it kind of empowers me to talk to my kids about it more because I don't feel like I'm being scattered. Now I can say, hey, use a multitude of tools and here are some tools. And this is the way these different things can help you.
1: So funny that, well, and again, I haven't planted you at all, but, um, and it's funny because I get this question asked a lot. So I'm going to talk about the paper planner. So I get parents, you know, full disclosure, as you said, my company, you know, we have, we sell paper planners all over the world. And the question we get asked all the time is, well, I want my student to write in a planner. I want my student to write in a planner. And I'm like, well, do you want them to write in the, well, I have a lot to say on that. I'm like, well, first of all, that's not, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to get your child to write in a planner. And I talk about this in the book. It's Your goal is to make sure you are on top of your tasks, that you can plan ahead, that you have some sense of future awareness, that you know simply what it is you need to do. The planner is a tool or a strategy to get there. It's not the goal. So when I explain it that way, there's that, oh, okay, you're right. I understand my mindset changes. But the other thing I say is the planner, and it's exactly what you just said, does not have to be the be all and end all. There's other tools. So for example, if you do have a student who likes to use, a, you know, a calendar, an electronic calendar, whether it's Google app or whatever it is, I'm okay with that as long as there is a planning tool along with it. And the question I get is, well, why is that? Because I don't say to a student, I want you to write in a planner so you know what you have to do. I want you to write in a planner so you know when you have time to do it. And that changes everything because that is what a planner is. A planner is not a to-do list. And if it is, then it's the wrong planner. Sorry, I'm going to say it. You need a planner where you can see your time because if you can't see time, you can't manage it. And I don't, and I, and I'm going to say that for parents on down. So a planner, if it's really effective and it's doing the job it's supposed to do, it's really showing you when. So that all the minute I get buy-in because my students will say, okay, I get it. I can So I can still use the websites at school or I can still use my Google Calendar. Absolutely, but we still need this for planning purposes. So you're right, you're not scattered. There's different tools that externalize your time, right? A timer doesn't tell you What else you have, it allows, what I always say a timer does is it holds future time so you can fully be in the present.
0: Oh, I love that. Holds future time so you could be in the present. And and again, that's the experience I have with it. And that's what I told people before is in the morning, I look at my calendar and I set alarms on my clock so that I can forget about those things. The exactly. alarms will pop up and tell me when I need to stop doing whatever I'm doing and prep for the new thing. And I don't set it for four o'clock when I have a four o'clock interview. No, no, I no. I stop and say, how long do I need to prep for that interview? How long do I need right. to set up the computer and the mic and everything else? You know, Do I already have the interview written or do I need to do that? If I need to do that, then I need to set the alarm for you know an hour and a half before. If that's done and all I got to do is set up a mic and stuff, okay, I need you know 10 minutes or 15 minutes and that when i set the alarm but then i let it go and as uh-huh. you said then i can be present
1: exactly in, in what i'm doing now mm-hmm. and okay. each of those tools yes and that's actually you know you know when i wrote the book about procrastination there was a reason why time was my first chapter seriously now that because for for me and again I'll, some of this is research proven some of this is leslie's leslie proven i'm just for your um, for your listeners, I'm an academic life coach for teens and college students with ADHD and LD. I've been at this for 15 years. There's a lot of things you kind of call after all that time, and time is the thing that students really grapple with. They are very, you know, a lot of kids come to my table, so to speak, who are time blind. That's just the way to say it. And so really not until and that's something also about procrastination in general for students that a lot of it is skill based or a lack of skill based. So if your student really doesn't know where they live in time, it's going to be very hard for them to activate to plan accordingly to get done what they It's as simple as it's going to be very hard for them to get what they need to get done done and time is a skill. So having and I'm going to wrap it back and I know we don't want to spend all our time here, but externalizing it as much as you can helps to organically internalize it. It's a really incredible thing when you see it working because it's a very organic process. It just kind of, you know, yes, there are other things to do, but having all of that around you absolutely helps.
0: So tying into this a little bit you've talked about time management and procrastination because they go so very much hand in hand and we've been living in a COVID world for a long time now and (sighs) procrastination just seems to keep climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and i know that in episode 51 you know we shared some specific ideas and things so again yes we don't want to get into all the detail but can you give us maybe a little low-hanging fruit for getting our kids off the procrastination bandwagon? And, and, and maybe there's a special consideration during these times that, yes, there's this one idea or these two ideas that are pretty universal in our current world.
1: So I think the one thing I do want to say, and, I, and you, you've you hit a lot of nails on the head but the one thing I want to say first is that procrastination is a funny thing because when you uncover the procrastination there are in my world there are very specific reasons why students do it so for example if a student is time blind they're time blind right if a student doesn't know how to study that is a that is a skill that needs to be taught when a student shows up at your, you know, in your house and they are procrastinating, there's there's always a reason why behind it. So it's not just a, you need to stop procrastinating or you need to just get moving. You really, as a parent, need to play some I spy. You really have to understand fully what is getting in your child's way because there's many different reasons why our students show up and you know, procrastination shows up. Could be a disorganization. It could be a lack of of um, a time. We talked about that or, uh, decision fatigue, which is huge. Lack of study skills. Um, their environment is not doing for them what they're supposed to be doing, and so on and so on and so on. So to your point, now put in a pandemic. <laughs> oh my goodness! And our kids are exhausted, as as we are. So if I was going to synthesize it down, I would say to you that what I am seeing and what I know is that the environment right now is, the, is what we are focusing on to help students to get motivated. Because you might have a kid who's doing distance learning or you might have some hybrid or they've just been in the same place for months and those four walls are not motivating. And we know that, and here's something that I, here's a term that I wanna bring into the conversation because I think parents will understand it. It's what we call cognitive load. If the mental load or cognitive load on your student is too heavy, it's going to crush them. So think of like just piles and piles of rocks on top of your kid, and it's slowly pushing them down. What that is the equivalent to is having to be self-motivated all the time. So like, I don't know about you, Sandy, but I wake up a lot in the morning and go, oh my goodness, I'm just not in the mood today, right? I don't want to do this today. I'm sure parents out there are feeling the same. So now imagine your student who's feeling that, and they've been in the same place, and their environment is no longer giving them the clues and cues to what it is they need to be doing. So they have to rely on their own internal motivation all day, every day, to get up and to do the right thing. It's not sustainable. So we know that movement helps to lay down learning. We know that movement helps us to get activated and focused and it helps us stay the course so any way that you can get your student up and moving like not sitting in the same place all day long to do work moving around your house the funnier the crazier the better i have kids in the bathtub i have kids sitting under the kitchen table i have kids sitting in the back seat of the car if you live in you know i know it's january but if we can live in, if you're in a warm environment get your student outside with any kind of kinesthetic activity, whether it's sidewalk chalk or a ball or walking the dog, anything. All of that movement helps your student, I always say this, it's like that chef with the sneaky brownies. You know, she threw the zucchini in, but you knew it was there, but you didn't really feel it. It's the same thing. Your student kind of knows what's going on, but they're not feeling that exhausting load. So that is my low hanging fruit. Movement, movement, movement. The environment is killer right now for our students. What is the environment saying to your child? Is it motivating, right? Are they sitting in the same place all day every day, staring at the same four walls? Uh Uh-uh. You got to the point where I even have students, and then I, I promise you I'll be quiet. I have students who obviously are still not, you know, kids that are still virtual, who get up in the morning, have a routine, put on their backpacks, walk out the front door, doesn't matter what the weather is, walk around the block and come back in a different door and go to a different place in their house to start. Now, I know everybody can't do that depending on where you live, but meaning if you live in, a, you may in an apartment, there might not be another door, but even if they can come in the same door and go somewhere else, that's movement. It will help the brain activated and get engaged.
0: I'm fascinated. I don't think we talked about that last time. No, we did not. And so, and again, particularly with these circumstances, because they aren't necessarily getting out and moving. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. And especially, I I mean, we're pre-recording, so we don't know exactly what's going to be happening in January but we know that there are already, you know, universities have said they're not going back second course, semester for live yes. in-person learning. So there's going to be, there's going to be a lot more children doing virtual classes and things. And I know that parents are losing their minds too, trying to help kids keep them functioning, motivated and whatever. And I love the idea that We'll all benefit. You know, maybe we get up, too, and we walk around the block with them and come back in the yes. door, whatever we're doing, whether we're trying to work from home or we're being a stay-at-home parent and trying to keep life functioning. Even in the cold climates, it's great to just get out there. That cold air
1: certainly clears your head oh. out. Hopefully it wakes oh. you up. <laughs> of course. I'm in. It. listen. You know, I'm in New York. Cold doesn't bother me. So, you know, you might not want your kid to be out, you know, if, depending on the weather. My point is more right now, for, it's for everybody's benefit, but I'm, to be outside, just the healthiness of the good air and all of that, the, you know, fresh air and, you know, cold is great. It wakes us up. But what we really need to focus on is that, and I want everyone to hear me say this, movement helps to lay down learning. So it not only helps your child to move while they're learning something. So I get, I bet you if you ask your students, okay, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm trying to memorize something versus I'm gonna put my book on the kitchen table and walk, do laps around the kitchen table or if you have like a mantle on a fireplace, your student will tell you that the walking and the moving actually helps them solidify information. But the walking and the moving, which then, of course, helps that cognitive load, right? If you're not like, oh, God, the drudgery of sitting and trying so hard, my brain is fried, you know, versus, okay, now if I'm also moving around my house and doing different subjects, you know, that in and of itself helps the brain. And I'm going to explain to you really quickly why. What we are forgetting. and yeah, I don't Leslie- mean Leslie when you say sure. moving around the house are you also just talking about
0: changing location because yes you like kids yes. on the kitchen table or in the bathtub yes. truly just moving to move a different it. location in the house so move here yes. for a while move there for a while You don't have to sit in the bathtub for six hours.
1: (laughs) No, but I have kids who are, and I'm not even talking young kids. I have college students who put a pillow behind them. They hop into the, the bathtub. There's no water and they're doing a Zoom class in there because they think it's funny. And don't discount that fun and funny right now are actually motivating. Okay. Sit. Think about it. Sitting under the kitchen table with your earphones on, you know, a student with their earphones on, listening to some music while they while they they crank away at an English paper, isn't that way more fun than sitting, you know, in their room by themselves, you know, all alone? Even when I say it, it's boring, right? You know. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And then I have one other thing that I think also, and again, it plays all into this moving, moving, moving is and this is research proven that we know that switching subjects actually is highly motivating and helps your students stay activated. And switching subjects is not multitasking. It's not, I'm not working what it is is I'm gonna work on, let's say my math for 20 minutes. Again, it depends on how, you know, I say ages and stages, depends on how old your students are. But let's say you're gonna work on math for 20 minutes, 20 minutes is over. You want your student to finish whatever it is he's working on. So if he's in the middle of the math problem, I'd like him to finish the math problem. But let's say he has three more math problems to go. That's fine. Time to move subjects because the brain starts to fade. Brain fade is big, particularly if your child has been home in the same place, staring at a computer screen. So all of a sudden, I'm doing math. I'm doing math. I'm not really doing math. I'm so not doing math right now. We flip it and now we're doing science and the brain function is up again. And what you're doing is you're introducing newness, excitement. I know we don't equate homework to excitement, but that's not what the brain is saying. What the brain is saying is, "Ooh, this is new. Oh, up I go. Here I go. Focus up. See what I mean? Attention mm-hmm. up.
0: That's really interesting. So, slugging it out, pushing through, finishing no. the thing, isn't it? Set, no. set a timer on the phone, go, I'm going to spend 15 minutes or I'm going to exactly. spend 30 minutes. And is there, is there, does science show, is there kind of an optimum amount of time yes. to focus on one subject?
1: Yes. Um, the outside is for, is about 45 to an hour for an older student. And again, I'm not, I, you know, your student will fall somewhere in that range depending what else is happening. If they have attention deficits, learning disabilities, things could take them longer, but more than an hour is not good for anybody. It's very interesting. It's not good even for you and I, if like even I who like, if I'm sitting and doing my writing day, I, I literally have a timer set. Okay, after 15 minutes, Leslie, put down your pen, get up, do some moving around, you need to re-energize your brain because your brain is fading. The other thing that also is happening there, and I really want to point this out because I think your parents are really going to see themselves in this. We're very good, and this might be for younger, younger students, but we're very good at saying to our students, why don't you just go finish your math homework before, di- or get your math homework done before dinner? Or why don't you just get you know that, that science lab written up before we have to leave for X, Y, and Z? If your student cannot see done, that they can't see the finish line, it's very difficult for them to activate, and that's where procrastination sits. We always want our students, particularly not not all. This is never obviously an you know an absolute. We have some kids that aren't procrastinators who can, if you said that, can activate. But if you have a student that is a procrastinator, we always want them working time. Over task. Because it goes back to that analog, all roads lead back to the analog clock because students need to see a beginning, middle, and an end. Do not discount that. That is huge. So if they can't see what done looks like, if they can't see what the finish line looks like, it's very hard not only to get activated, but stay the course. So think about it. Go do your math homework. Well, what does that mean? how long is it going to take me? Like what versus why don't you work for 20 minutes and then dinner will be ready. 20 minutes. All right. I can see 20 minutes.
0: That okay. is fascinating. And without knowing it, I've employed that not about homework, but about other things in our household. And because I started using it for myself with mm-hmm. household tasks, like me too, I really can't, stand looking at this kitchen and I know exactly what done looks like and I just <sighs> I cannot wrap my mind around doing it. However, I can wrap my mind around putting the dishes that I just used I can rinse those off and put them in the dishwasher. Well and while I'm standing here at this sink, well I can do a few more and then a few more and then a few more and it just kind of builds and then I also just stop if I need to stop and I've done that with my kids like hey we have to rake the yard. And in our family, we only rake once in the fall. So it's a project when we go out to do it. The entire yard is covered in a huge amount of leaves. So this is a huge project, right? And so that's what we do is we go, we set a timer and go, we're going to go out for 20 minutes. If we feel like staying longer, we do. And if we don't, at 20 minutes, we're done. But
1: we know that 20 minutes is coming. Exactly. And what you're doing there, and I'm going to keep saying all these sound bites, but you know me, I speak in sound bites because people (laughs) remember them, is you are eliminating what I call barriers to entry. So you have to remember, and again, you know the world that I play in. I play in the ADHD world, I play in the learning disability world, I, I play in the world where students have a hard time with activating where, you know, there's a lot of cognitive load. So I feel that all of that plays into what I call decision fatigue. If your student doesn't understand something, if your student can't see something, if your student isn't figuring something out, it, 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 it not only it only, not only does it become decision fatigue because they have to kind of come up with it, but it just puts more and more of that cognitive load on them. So you've, I just want parents to see that in their head, the boulders, just keep building boulders on top of your students' shoulders. So again, exactly what you said, when your stu- if you know it's only an hour, That's a very finite thing. There's no decision there. There's nothing to think about. It's very, and and you can see an hour and you can see what done looks like. And there is a reason why I'm all about the done. And I want, here's another soundbite, but I think they're hugely important. For your child to complete anything, he has to do a few things. If he's in the middle of it and he is starting to brain fade. So let's say he's on a Zoom call or let's say he's in the middle of doing his math homework. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, my God, I, I just can't do this anymore. Brain fade, brain fade, brain fade. The first thing he's doing, and I trust me, ask your kid, is they are looking for anything externally that's going to tell them how much time they have left. Teachers, when I do this for teachers, they crack up and they go, oh, my God, I'm always seeing my students looking at the analog hanging in my room. Why? Because they need to pause. They need to pause so they can look at the clock. Oh, I only have five minutes left. Now they can picture the end. Five minutes, I can see the end. I can picture the end. And now they can pace themselves. I only have five minutes. All right, I can wiggle in my chair. I can get my energy level up. I can like stretch my arms. I can psychologically, I'm going to get myself through this. They have to be able to pause, picture, and pace to get themselves through something that they don't want to be doing.
0: Okay. So pause, picture, and pace to get through something they don't want to be doing. Right.
1: They need to know where they sit in that world. Not if they're doing something they love. We've all have students at home that are hyper-focused. We know that. But if you really need your student not, it's not always about activation. It's about staying the course.
0: All right. So I want to, kind of take some of these things that I've heard you talking about and do some real quick clarification. So number one, all these techniques you're telling us work for all kids, whether they have a heavy cognitive load or not, whether they have ADHD or issues, procrastination issues, it
1: just universally human. It's weak. It's called universal learning. Similar to universal design. We remember when the curb cuts were put in the, you know, in the sidewalks, they were meant for people that had physical limitations. But we also found were, you know, pushing a stroller, luggage on the street. It was it was a design that benefited all. Universal learning is similar, exactly what we're talking about. Things that might be benefiting those with challenges, but yet none of this is for an ADHD brain. This is for everybody's brain, right? We all have a kid at home that can absolutely use this then
0: these are great techniques for employing with helping our kids get homework done
1: no matter their school situation absolutely i am bringing you things that can be done for anything it doesn't matter if your child is distance learning hybrid learning i actually call it crisis learning but that is for another podcast
0: yeah Um, you know i wanted to talk about but we don't have time today so we'll have to pop that in
1: later (laughs) <laughs> yes, of course. And, um, but I am going to say this. If your student is home and is home all day, it is even more imperative that they're working in time chunks because they're in the same place.
0: Well, so this is what I want to ask you. Where my brain is coming out is going, okay, if my student is learning via the computer, part of the day, all the day, one class, all their classes, whatever, some of the things I can do, number one is talk to them about environment. And so we want to want yes. analog clocks, any place that they're going to be so they can track that time and go, okay, this class goes for another 15 minutes exactly. you know, or
1: whatever. Exactly.
0: So analog clocks, wherever they're going to be. And then what I kind of saw was maybe try and set it up. So when they switch from one subject to another, they can physically move from one space to
1: another in the house. A hundred percent. Absolutely. We, I am not, a, I am not a desk girl. I get that question all the time. I'm like, no desk. Yes. There should be some surface in your student's room where supplies live. You know what I mean? Books live that they, everything has a home, but you are better off with like a portable caddy or some portability of something that your student can move around the house with. Okay. 100%.
0: All right. And if anyone wants to know, I grabbed just a cheap little table off of the internet last year. That is great. Cause I end up moving around the house Mm -hmm. or even going to someone else's house. And I throw it in my car and take it with me because yeah, our home was not set up for four people with three of us working from home. This was just not the way that house was designed. Mm -hmm. So I'm moving around And I know that I know how much that helps me to work from different places. So we can let them move around the house and let them use weird or interesting or unique places, throw some blankets and pillows underneath the stairs, let them go use the bathtub, let them go in our room for a while, their room for a while, the living room, you know, let people kind of move around the house just to shift things and break it up.
1: It you would be like, I I mean, I'm going to, I have a 22 year old son who came home during last, you know, last March from school, second semester, he has his own room. But one of the things he loved was my bedroom because he wanted a, he wanted a place in the house that was his, you know, his room, his bedroom, and he wanted a different place in the house. We were all home. I had four adults working where he could take his classes from and our bedroom for him was that space. So he equated, so he did, he would go downstairs to his, and he would come up a different staircase and go right into our bedroom. And for him, he said, I felt like I was going to class. I didn't even pass my bedroom.
0: And then encouraging some morning routine and Mm -hmm. movement through the day. So whether that is, you know, taking that moment as they change from one class to another to say, Hey, move. I don't care if you do, you know, 20 jumping jacks, or if you Doesn't walk matter. around the house, or if you get out and run a couple
1: laps, just move. Just move. You have to be moving because you have to remember when your childhood was in a, if your child has been in a more traditional school setting, there were transitions throughout the day where they got up and they moved to another class. That does so much for their brain. I can't even,
0: that's another podcast. Well, and I'm going to encourage parents to share this podcast with their teachers. I have a good friend who's a teacher and we've just been talking as friends. And one of the things that she said, she's teaching fifth grade. And as a COVID precaution, the teachers are switching rooms. The kids are not. So taking that time when the teachers are switching rooms to have the kids get up, move, whatever, would be hugely helpful for the
1: students. 100%, that's great, what a great idea.
0: All right, so we're moving. We are externalizing time. We Uh, are giving our kids uh, different environments to work in, but we're also giving them, what I heard you say here was one, Stable place, whether that's a caddy that's rolling around, but but we have some kind of a workspace for them where yeah. all their stuff resides. Now, whether they choose to run in there like it's their locker and they run in and they move things in and out of their backpack Whatever they want
1: to different if, places. If, th- we need to be we need to be nimble and flexible right now. Like yeah. whatever works for that. I'm I'm you know that stuff is. You know, you've got to give your student choices right now. I really believe that it's your job as the parent to set the parameters and it's your child's job to negotiate them. That is my belief, particularly now, especially now. So whatever little things work, but I just really believe in the bigger bigger picture. And the other thing I really, and I know we're running out of time, but I really believe that one of the silver linings, if there is any, is that if your child is home, that they can tap into those best practices. Meaning, I do have students, I want your your listeners to hear it this way. I have students who say, you know what, I could not sustain eight o'clock in the morning calculus, you know, sitting in a seat. I love the fact that I can have my laptop open and sit in the bathtub and listen to my professor from my bathtub, like that works better for me. So definitely tap into your child's best practices right now. because even giving them that permission is highly motivating.
0: So in Mighty Parenting fashion, I'm envisioning a conversation with our kids going, <laughs> hey, yet again, the kids probably get it. I don't know, they're gonna love or hate this podcast. Hey, I was listening to Mighty Parenting and Sandy had this crazy woman, Leslie, on that- there talking about environment and movement. And so, Let's have let's talk about what's working for you, what's not working for you. What can we do to help get you some movement, some different environment, and let them give input and see what they think and what will work for them. We're talking teenagers and our college students. Yeah, or, or even through this whole conversation, I have a daughter who's working professionally. Uh and she's stuck at a desk in her one little room all day. So I'm envisioning the same thing, either moving her to some different places in the house, and maybe it can't be from hour to hour, but maybe one day to the next. Exactly. Get some movement in between phone calls, between clients, you know, before you eat your lunch, while it's in the microwave, again, do some jumping jacks, go run around the house, whatever.
1: (laughs) Right. Or if she is different, like I... So I have two working, not, well, I have one, but one of them went back into Manhattan, but we would, we would all rotate spaces. All when, when, when COVID hit back in March, I am in New York and I had four adults in a house. Um, we all rotated spaces. So we would like seriously like figure out how we could do that because it was highly motivating for all of us. So I love that you don't, it doesn't have to just be for school and, if you're a parent even working at home, it just gives your brain a a break. What we are trying to do right now, I just want your parents to go home with, and that's figuratively, I want them to go home with that term cognitive load. We need to unburden all of us and movement and moving does that.
0: And I understand more now about some of the fatigue that's happening for everybody with this idea of movement and environment because we've all been more limited there
1: so exactly
0: leslie this has been so eye-opening who knew that there would be so much more than what we've already talked about so for listeners who want more from you obviously as i said i will have links to the other two podcasts here i know you've got the new book we'll have a link to that in the show notes but
1: where can they find you online Okay, so we make it super easy for everyone to find us. The name of my company is Order Out of Chaos, and our website is orderoochaos.com. If you go there, it's the springboard to everything we do, our products, our programs, our workshops, our webinars, our coaching, our social media, whatever you need or want. Just go there first, and it will take you anywhere you want.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for all this great info and your insights. I appreciate you sharing all of this with us today, Leslie.
1: Oh, my pleasure. You know, I love coming back here again and again. Thank you. Oh, so
0: We'll have you back again and again. <laughs> and mighty parents, as I said, Ask your teachers to check out this episode. They might find some helpful hints for them, for their students, because everybody's carrying a weight. And share the podcast with other parents to help them ease their parenting journey and ease the learning for their kids as well. Remember to go to MightyParenting.com to grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. And thank you for being here. Remember, if you're here, you're listening, you are a mighty parent. You got this.